0: You are listening to a message from Thrive Community Church, a church located in southwest Florida. For more info, visit us at thrive-fl.org. Good morning. It's good to be here today and be with you. Um, let's pray. Lord God, we praise and thank you this day. Your mercy and grace is amazing. And um, you've given us yourself, you revealed yourself, you've shown yourself in ways that just astound us. And so we're here to to learn, to grow, and to believe. We thank you, Lord, that we do belong. We belong to you, and everyone belongs here because this is your church, and you are the host, and you are the one who does it all. We thank you that this is not the only place in Estero or this community or area that you are present in this morning. We thank you for all the other gospel ministries around us from Summit to Hope to Zion to Gulf Coast Presbyterian to so many more. We can't even name them all. We thank you, Lord, for them. We pray that we all are built up in the faith and but more that you create a movement through all of us for your kingdom's sake that goes well beyond our walls and well beyond ourselves so that we are that universal church that we confess in those words of the Apostles' Creed. So bless this time and the start of this new series, Lord, by your presence among us today in Jesus name. Amen. Hey, it's great to be here and to start this um, pretty basic, in one sense, sermon series. you can find out more about this. You can go on to the U version of the Bible, and you can look up under Events on the U version. Um, the notes for this sermon series, Thrive Community Church Foundations, and you'll get it all there. We're going to start out, though, um, so we're going to be uh, reading from the book of Romans, chapter 10, verses 5 through 13, to begin with, okay? So um, it'll be up on the screen, as well as what you can get on your um, phone on that app, Now, some of you are really familiar with the Apostles' Creed, okay, because you came from potentially a church background, more traditional, more liturgical, maybe mainstream Protestant, whatever it is, um, and you recited this creed again and again and again. And there are probably others who are kind of questioning right now, or there might be others who are questioning, going like, wait a minute... Um, because you came from a tradition that never talked about, in fact, what you heard from your churches was something like, no creed but the Bible, okay? Have you ever heard that one before? That's the next slide, by the way. No creed but the Bible, okay. <laughs> just just kind of checking, so, okay, we'll get on it, okay? And, um, and I understand that, because there is this concern, like, what do you mean, you're going to spend All this time on a human-made creed that isn't really in the Bible itself. And let me let you uh, be reassured today. We're not going to be preaching the Apostles' Creed. We're going to be using the Apostles' Creed to shape our preaching. And all of that's going along with it. Creeds themselves do not have any authority Um, But they're derived authority because they're basically saying, this is what the Bible teaches. And I'm going to get a little snarky right now with you, okay? No creed but the Bible. Do you understand that most cults (laughs) and most other organizations will say, we're teaching exactly what the Bible says? So the real question always comes down to, finally, anyways, what do you believe the Bible says? What does the Bible teach? And the Apostles' Creed becomes a great summary in a nutshell of what the Bible teaches and confesses. So we're going to be spending eight weeks from now through December 11th on the Creed. Take a break for our Christmas celebrations and then join back in on January 8th and finish it up. So 13 total weeks. And here's why we're doing this. Okay? I think there are three main reasons what we can gain from something like the Apostles' Creed as we teach and th- what the scriptures say about who our God is and what he is about. Okay? The first is that the Creed will help us develop balance, okay? better balance. Okay? And by that I mean it gives us a robust understanding of who our God is and we don't fall off one side or the other with it. Secondly, the creed will give us more clarity. That is, we'll be clear to see who our God is, and because we know who our God is, we'll also know who we are. Do you realize? I don't know who I am just by myself, but it's in my relationship with God. And then thirdly, we'll start to help uh, understand how we really belong. And what does it mean, what do we belong to, who do we belong with, and what are we really about? We're not just alone in this. Now, the simplest creed in the early church was simply what we saw here in Romans chapter 10. You can read it in chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, where it says, Jesus is Lord. Do you realize that any of the creeds that come later after that are basically just unpacking what do you mean by Jesus is Lord? Who is Jesus? How is he related to God? What uh, what does it mean that you're calling him Lord? Where is he now? What is he about? What's going on? And that's basically what the creed does. So the Apostles' Creed just takes that phrase, Jesus is Lord, and then expands it out to explain what it means that Jesus is Lord. Okay? The Apostles' Creed, then, is one of the oldest creeds. It occurs somewhere formulated in the 100s to 200 A.D., and it, it, that means, by the way, do you realize the apostles didn't write this creed? Okay, they were dead by the time it was written. But what it is is a summary of what the apostles taught. And that's how it was called the Apostles' Creed. And the creed has two historic purposes. It was first used where you could see this guy named Hippolytus, I guess, actually even had what was mainly the Apostles' Creed. And it was used for baptism, it was used at the time saying, this is who you are baptized into, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It basically, in a sense, it comes from where Jesus says in Matthew 28, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So this creed basically says, this is in whom you were baptized, whatever your age is, whoever you are, this is your identity now. This is the story that you are now in the middle of. And this is part of you. This is who you are. And then secondly, the Apostles' Creed was used by the church for two millennia now, basically, to teach. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing and teaching right? Them to obey everything I have commanded you. So the creed begins to shape us. The creed places what it means that Jesus is Lord into the context of our lives. And so it starts to shape us. And now what's amazing to me about the center of the Apostles' Creed, it is not some abstract ideas or concepts or philosophical speculation. It's the story of the life of Jesus. Do you realize that? It's just basically about him, what he did, what he's about. What's most important about Christianity is not rules and regulations. It's not morality. It's the person of Jesus Christ himself. He's the center of it all. So it's not about how and what I do, but it's about what God has done. It's not about my religion, but it's about my relationship with this God. It's not about human activity, but divine mercy. And that's the center of the creed. If you read through the whole Apostles Creed, the vast majority of it is just about the life of Jesus Christ. Okay? So, with that being said, let's look at Romans chapter 10, verses 9 to 10 where this is what it says in these verses. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Notice in this text, it says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe. It doesn't say and know. It says believe. Why is that important? You can know a lot of stuff. <laughs> how many of you, by the way, um, raise your hands, kind of quick survey. How, mo- how many of you know a lot of stuff? <laughs> you actually do, okay? Especially, hey, I hope every college student in this room should have raised their hands at this point in time. You know a lot of stuff. <laughs> you might only know it for a few moments before the midterm, but you did at least know a lot of stuff, right? But, hey, I can know about a lot of stuff, but it doesn't mean I have to trust in it right? For instance, um, I know George Washington was the president of the United States, but do I trust him for anything? No. No. Okay? So you can know that Jesus existed as a historical person. You can know that he claimed to be the son of God. You can know that he was crucified. You can even know that it's claimed that he was ris- has risen from the dead. And you can know that he claimed all these divine miracles and all this stuff happened, but you don't even have to trust in him, even because you know those facts or ideas. You can trust yourself a lot more than you trust in Jesus or anybody else. So the word here is not to know in your head, but to believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord. Here's something else to consider, Um, because at the heart of believe is trust, and at the heart of this creed is not an idea. Do you realize that human beings are not primarily ideational people? Now, I know, what did he just say? That is that we're just thinking ideas, and therefore those ideas that they turn into and things change. This is one of the problems. We think just giving people information is going to change their life. Have you ever figured that out? Every good doctor figures out that they can give you all the facts in the world about diet exercise, do this, do that, you, you just had a... They could have had a heart attack at the moment and just recovering from it and say, you got to change your lifestyle, these are the facts, guess what? Within a month, 90% of them haven't done anything. They've gone back. They don't even take the medication. They found study after study because we are not primarily thinking creatures, Human beings are primarily driven by their loves, their desires, their hopes, their dreams, and their beliefs, okay? No amount of intellectual information is going to transform someone. But rather, it's what your heart believes, what you hope in, what you love. That's what empowers you. And that's what moves you. You grasp onto what you love and not let go. So the creed begins with, I believe, not I know or I think. And the creed itself is tied into and anchored in the gospel, this life of Jesus. All other moral religions in the world and all philosophies usually say like this. Here's the standard. Live up to it. Good luck. Okay? And um, here's the hurdle. Jump over, you might make it. And if you even buy into what I consider one of our great narratives of the 21st century America and probably the 20th century materialism, the basic narrative says, here's that brass ring, reach out and try to grab for it and see if you can get it. It's based on human effort. You do, you work it, you try, live up to it, good luck, see if it works. But the moment that Paul teaches here in the book of Romans that it's about belief rather than work, notice the creed doesn't say we do, this is what we do, this is whom I believe. And that makes the whole message of Christianity about the good news of what God has done for us and that relationship he has developed with us and keeps on going. The creed is tied in to the love of God who so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. It's just another version of John three sixteen, And so we... We love because he first loved us primarily, fully, and completely. And so the creed is not about reciting a bunch of facts and figures and ideas and thoughts. It's really about the relationship of love that we have a Jesus Christ who was born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and buried, and You could add two key words here, for me, for me. On the third day, he rose again, ascended into heaven, sits at the right hand of God the Father, for me. That's the difference. That's the difference between the gospel and other moral religions because it's really about believing in the heart Because of the love of God who has come to you. So I said in the Creed, we're going to see kind of the shape of our faith. It's kind of the rule of faith. It kind of gives us a balanced perspective. That's what I said. It's going to give us clarity and it's also going to teach us how we belong. So let's look first at balance, okay? Balance. Hey, um, how many of you at any point in time in your life worked out at a gym or another place on a regular basis? It's okay. Just raise your hands. A lot of us have, right? Now, you know this guy. There's this guy there, right? And what I mean by that guy, the guy who's unbalanced, he doesn't know it. He's an upside down pair with two little toothpicks sticking out as legs, okay, Ooh, he has worked out his abs, his shoulders, maybe his back, his biceps, his triceps, and he's like Mr. Hulk and he's got these two le- he can he can bench press 400 pounds but you can blow him over with a breath. He's unbalanced. This is the best picture I could find. I've I've seen guys even worse than that, okay? Just little toothpicks of legs. Because that's all he's working out. That can happen with us in our Christian life. We can be unbalanced like that. We can be robust in one area, but really overall weak and unbalanced. Here's an example. (coughs) There are a lot of people, and you've heard this phrase again and again. There's nothing wrong with this phrase. And that is, uh, Jesus is my personal Lord and Savior. And so that's their center of their faith. It's all about their personal Lord and Savior and their personal relationship with God. And what they mean by that often is that personal Lord and Savior and personal relationship with God is my private relationship with God and my private Savior. It's all about me and my relationship with Jesus. It's just me and Jesus, and that's it. And yet the creed talks about the whole Christian church on earth. And the creed talks about God, our Father, creator of all things, and the Holy Spirit, and the whole Christian church. You see, what happens then and can happen is it's just about me and my little my little Jesus that I keep and I have privately by myself, I can be totally unbalanced and not understand that I am connected to this amazing thing called the Christian church that gives me a foundation. By the way, there have been times in my life, I don't know about you, there have been times in my life I have a hard time believing. Don't you? Guess what? There are people around me then in the Christian church that can believe for me and with me and bring me along at those times. But if it's just my personal Lord and Savior, it can slowly become like a figment of my imagination. It's just me and God and nothing else. And it also can be not understanding that God, our Father, who has created this wonderful world, that this world actually matters. And Christianity can become just kind of this escapist kind of, I'm just going to get off this planet, you know, beam me up now, God. And not care about this world. And yet, if you have a full, robust understanding of the Apostles' Creed and the teaching of the Scriptures, I believe, you will see that this world matters. And what I do from day to day matters. We went to Habitat yesterday, not just because it's fun, you know, but because this world matters. This is God's world. It's broken. It's fallen. it's, It's... fractured in many ways, but we're about caring about this world that is God's. It's not just going to be someday. It is right now God the Father's. And so having the understanding of the fullness of the Apostles' Creed will help us be balanced and grounded, the building blocks of faith, where we can't be just toppled over so easily by one thing or another. So we're going to gain balance from this. Secondly, we're going to also gain clarity, okay? Clarity. Um, so Scott McConnell of Legionnaire Ministries um, a few years ago um, did a uh, survey that's kind of uh, was a little shocking of evangelical belief in the United States. Now, this was definitely a US of A issue. And he looked at what people actually believe that go to Christian churches in the United States. And recently in Christianity Today, they had an article with the title, Are Our Churches Filled With Heretics? And the answer, sadly to say, from this research was yes. (laughs) Okay? So here are some of the things that came up in this survey okay, that kind of show where we're at. And it's definitely in the entertain me, um, me the center of the universe, consumer Christianity that we have in the United States often. And so I think the next slide has a few of these and I might've got them out of order. So just put them up. Okay. So 82% of people said they have the ability to turn to God on their own initiative. And you might be going like now, yeah. Well, guess what? That kind of goes against the whole parable Jesus had of the lost sheep and the shepherd. The sheep doesn't find the shepherd. The shepherd finds the sheep, right? You know, once I was lost, now I am found. I didn't find myself, okay? Second one, individuals can contribute to their own salvation. Now, that's rather fascinating. 74% of us say that when Jesus on the cross, one of his last words was, it is accomplished, it is finished, it is complete. The book of Hebrews will talk about how once for all Christ was sacrificed, there is no more sacrifice for sin. Or the famous passage in Ephesians chapter 2, salvation by grace through faith. It is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Hmm. Third, Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. 71% of people thought that. That means that Jesus is not co-equal with the Father. He's not truly divine. He's just the first thing God created. So when God loves the world, he doesn't give us himself. He gives us something he made. Well, that's easy for God. Then he's almighty powerful. He He can make anything and just give it to us and not give himself. But the Bible will talk about God's one and only son, who is equal with the Father, who is fully God himself, who pours himself out for us. God has nothing more he could have given than his son to us, okay? So those are just some of the beliefs. Let's go on to a couple more, okay? The Holy Spirit is just a force and not a personal being, which is kind of like being part of Star Wars, I guess, okay? (laughs) Everyone sins a little, but most people are good by nature, which means why do I really need Jesus if I only got a few little things that are wrong with me that I can just kinda get dry cleaning for, okay? I'm being snarky, I know that, okay? I'm just trying to point this out. The next slide has just a few more. Worshiping alone or with one's family is a way to replace the church. It's just my personal God. I don't have to deal with anybody else. Wouldn't that be nice? My good deeds help me to earn my place in heaven. Still, almost 40% of people think somehow they earn salvation rather than a gift. And 37% say God will always reward faith with material blessings. Only in the United States. Do we get that? talk to Peter or Paul in the New Testament or three quarters of the Christian church around the world and they would not say it always happens that way. Fascinating, huh? So what it seems is that by and large, a lot of people in the United States, we've kind of of lost our way. We've kind of messed up on some of those basics. And Scott McConnell wrote this. Sometimes as Christians in America, we're so busy running from one thing to another without taking the time to really closely see how this relationship with God works. I think you can see this in the variety of responses to this survey where people are in the right theologically on several questions and completely missing it on others. We've just kind of picked and chosen and figured it out. We haven't asked the deeper questions. And so we're gonna go through some of those basics by letting the creed shape us and understand what's going on. And we also, God help us, (sighs) we just want to be entertained. You know, just thrill me, you know. Make it fun. Make it exciting. I want spills and chills, Christianity, amusement park ride every Sunday morning. And I know, because so often I'll ask, you know, my kids, you know, from they come from TSM, and they usually have a great time, so it's, it's, it usually is a positive thing, but I'll ask them, did you have fun? As if having fun is the end-all and be-all of the Christian faith and the standard by which we decide if it's good. And you go like, well, I know, but if kids don't have fun, they won't want to come back. And I agree with that for kids, but the problem is it's not just kids, right? did I have fun? Was church fun? You know? I understand. I want to have a good time. I want to, really, I do enjoy a lot of this, believe it or not, okay? It's fun. It can be hard work, too, but the number one thing is not that church would be fun, but that it would be formational, that it would really shape me. Okay? That it makes a difference, that it is life-changing, that it actually, instead of trying to just go by whatever seems like fun, I ask what is true and what is noble and what is proper and what is good and what's going to be beneficial. Instead of going for the microwave mentality of quick and easy, fix me now, of realizing the joy of a long walk with our Lord intimately in the same direction. What a difference. I think the Christian life is filled with a lot of joy. Fun is ephemeral. Happiness is unstable. It's so fragile. You can if you just look at it too much, it'll break. But joy, the joy of an intimate relationship with a God who absolutely loves you is head over heels for you every day who has everything for you and nothing against you, that is something else, okay? So it'll build clarity, we gain the balance, and then you also grasp how you belong. I don't know if you've wrapped your mind around this. You're not alone. There are 2 billion or more people in this world today confessing, many of them reciting the Apostles' Creed, or being taught by it or shaped by it in some ways, confessing this creed around the world today. Isn't it amazing? You are part of the largest organization. There is even, I don't think even Facebook is bigger. Maybe I'm wrong now, okay? But there is no other tribe. There is no other identity you could have in this world. No nation big enough. And this is not just transcultural And experienced in every culture, in every ethnicity, in every language, every continent. It's also historical. It's from the beginning. It's been going on for millennia. And it will continue. And so it's not just the faith that we have here and now today. But it's the faith that has been confessed and taught from the beginning. And we are connected to this great identity, this great belonging, this great belief all the way along even to today. It's huge. I don't know if you realize this. When the early church confessed a creed like this or even said the simple creed in our text, Jesus is Lord, it was both the most revolutionary, radical departure from their culture and the most affirming belief in the gospel at the same time. You see, at that day and age, Caesar is Lord is what needed to be said time and again. And he went once a year at least to a temple and poured out some libation there and acknowledged that Caesar is Lord and that Caesar was the good news and Caesar was the one who ran everything. You think there was a little egomania going on? Yeah. But Christians would say, we're not buying into that narrative. We're not buying into what Rome is selling us. The Pax Romana is a joke. (laughs) That it's the end all and be all of every civilization. That it has all the answers. That it's providing everything that we need now, not Rome. Jesus is Lord. We buy into the historic narrative the one and only narrative of a God who is so loved that he created, a God who is so loved that he is redeemed, a God who's so loved that he fills us, and a God who so loves that he's going to come back and renew the whole creation and us as well and live and dwell with us forever. That's the narrative we live by. That's the story that defines us and shapes us, and that's the story that's going to make a difference for our lives. So today... Maybe we don't have quite the tension in our society yet where you wonder speaking or reciting or saying Jesus is Lord and what, you, what that will cost you like the early church did. But today we still say we don't buy into the narrative of materialism, that stuff and accumulating more stuff is not the answer to life. We still don't buy into the narrative that our modern society is the end all and be all. And we find all our identity and purpose and meaning in all this entertainment and stuff around us. We still say, no, it's about one story, the story that matters the most. A God who so loved this world that he gave. And we see then that that's what's really going on. So now you might say, well, that's great. It's great that you believe that. It's great that you understand that you've got um, balance, that you've got clarity, and you belong. But I'm not sure about myself today. I'm struggling with this whole belief thing and a belief in this God. And I understand this world is confusing. There's a lot of information thrown at you and there's a lot of different things going on in our pluralism and you're just going like, you could be lost in the swirl of it all around you. But you know what? I have a feeling, if you really look, you believe in something anyways. You might not always be able to put your finger on it, but there is no way any human, every human being believes in something or someone, even if it is just themselves and their perspective on things. So the question really isn't whether you can believe, but can you believe in this God? A God who created, a God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, a God of fallen people everywhere, a God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. How can I believe in that God? And Romans chapter 10 says this, that the word, it says, is near you. It's not up there, it's not down there, you don't have to look anywhere else. It is near you, it is upon your heart, It's right here. You don't have to have some mystical experience to ascend into heaven. You don't have to plummet the depths of the earth to find it. Jesus presents himself to you today. That's what the gospel is. The gospel is not something that happened 2,000 years ago outside of Jerusalem. It's the fact that he is alive today, and he comes to you today, and he says, I am yours today. I love you absolutely now today no matter how broken or confused you are, I am here for you today. I am your Lord. I am not your dictator. I am not your despot. I am the one who died for you and rose for you. I am the one who now reigns for you. I am the one who forgives you. I am the one who absolutely will do anything for you. There is no one I rather have than you. That is the God of the Apostles' Creed. And Paul says as well in Romans chapter 10 here that there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. There's no difference between educated or uneducated. There's no difference between one race or another. There's no difference between you and me. There's no difference between the pious and the unpious. Whatever way you want to put it, everybody's the same before the Lord. And you are loved and accepted right where you are. So trust him today. And I want to say this too, even if you're struggling with this and not sure if you believe yet, I want to tell you this about Thrive. You belong here. We love to have people who are still trying to sort things out. We don't care. Well, we do care, but I mean, you know, we don't, we want to have people here. We want you here more than anywhere else. We want you to know that you got family and we'll believe for you. And we'll believe what God can do in you. And we'll believe that God is going to bring you there at the right time. Today, it might be today. Or it might be next week or the week after. I don't want you to put it off, but I do want to let you know that you you belong. Okay? You really do belong. And because of that, I think we're going to end just simply with this sermon right now with prayer okay? Just a prayer over the fact that you can have balance, you can have clarity, and you do belong, and therefore you can believe. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, thank you. Thank you for loving us, forgiving yourself. Thank you, Father, For giving all in your Son, for not staying at a distance, but enduring the cross and the grave, rising again for us. Thank you that the heart of Christianity is that love and not just an idea or a concept or a principle, and that you are all about that relationship. Help us, Lord, to trust you even more. We believe. Help us with whatever unbelief and confusion we have. Come into our hearts and lives, Lord, by your Holy Spirit. Enter in now because you are so near. And receive us as we are so that we can be the family and the people that you want us to be. All this we pray, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen.